Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa and everywhere else, God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So, if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So, if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. And if not, no problem, we'll put it all together for you. So, let's get started. Today we are in Proverbs. We'll be looking um, at Proverbs 28, and we'll finish 28, and we'll go to the first four verses of Proverbs 29. So, again, just a footnote, uh, my co-host in Zambia, Matali, is not with us today. She is uh, with uh, traveling with family in Africa Zambia. So um, our thoughts and prayers go out to her and we'll be just uh, glad to have her back whenever she is able to get access back for uh, her podcast. So um, this is our last uh, podcast of this week. Next week we'll finish out the Proverbs and we'll be heading into another uh, uh, New Testament um, book of the Bible, uh, Philippians. And I can't wait to get into Philippians. What a great and encouraging book that is. It's just, I can't wait for that. So get ready for next week uh, as we finish out uh, the Proverbs. And we'll start in uh, chapter 28, uh, verse 1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. The wicked flee and nobody's even chasing them. There's the wicked people. Um, a lot of times, you can look at it in terms of their moral courage. It really takes courage to be righteous. It takes courage to stand for a principle. It takes courage, many times, to um, stand for the word of God, to defend the word of God, to. Um, Go against society. Go against the grain. Go against the peer pressure. And wicked folks, it's just a sin nature sometimes. McGee was talking about it too. Uh, It's just a sin nature that when you know you've done something wrong, you're going to run away. When you cheat or when you lie or when you steal or even people murder, when people know they've done something wrong, they have this sin nature about them They know it's wrong, even though maybe society doesn't say it's wrong or anybody around them. They run. They want to cover up their tracks. They want to hide. That is a natural instinct. And um, it seems to be prevalent in all peoples of all societies. And uh, 
No one wants to be caught doing something wrong, whether they're a believer or an unbeliever. And uh, the righteous, um, that's usually a person who stands up um, and lets their their, um, position be known. And that righteousness is like light in a dark world. Uh, Jesus was described as the Word of God, but He's also described as the light of the world. And righteousness is, by definition, something that changes the world. It, righteousness is something that there's a, there's a cleansing property, there is a healing property to righteousness, and righteousness, as it stands alone, is something that is made to be known. And when Jesus Christ is inside of us, we have a righteousness, not from ourselves, but a righteousness from Him. So we have that light of the world in us. We have that Word of God in us, in Jesus Christ. So that righteousness that we have in Jesus Christ enables us to be to have courage that we would not ordinarily have. We have a boldness, a courage, a courage, and um, a feeling of um, security that we have um, a Father in heaven, a Lord that loves us in a steadfast way, for everlasting, for all eternity, and that um, <clears throat> that gives us a character that wicked people just don't have. There's just a, wow. There's a lot of wisdom in that one little verse. Now, verses two, and I'm going to say down to eight. I'm going to I'm going to read with the respect of have, of these verses as they apply to how we live in society. And I think as you um, look at them, I think you can ask yourself a question: How do people of faith? How do the righteous people? function in society. You know, people make fun of righteous people. They can make fun of Christians. But no matter how you slice it, society always does better when righteous people are in society. If you have a whole bunch of people in society who are wicked people, you know, that seems to be you know, what society praises. But if everybody in society is evil or wicked or has no morals, society can't function. And so just as a practical sense, I think these verses are speaking to the practicality of one's faith as it blesses society, whether society wants to receive that blessing or not. The atheists in our society want to say, "Oh, you have to have, um, you have to put religion in its place. You can't, um, you can't have. Uh, we need freedom from religion to have effects on our society. You know, we don't need religion in the schools or in society. But that seems to be what the atheists want to want to um, say all the time. But if you have a whole bunch of uh, people in the society with no morals, with you know no value there, that atheist argument always falls apart because society benefits from morality. 
And uh, so let's take a look at this. Verse 2, when a land transgresses, it has many rulers. But with a man of understanding and knowledge, its stability will con- long continue. So in other words, when a, a land dives into sin or transgresses into sin, everybody thinks they're right. It has many rulers. Everybody thinks their way is the right way. And what's right for one person, oh, what right for you is not right for me. There's no moral standard. There's no universal sense of right and wrong. But when you have a man of understanding and knowledge of God, it will give a stability to society, whether society even recognizes God or not. Isn't that amazing? That is so true, and we could spend all day just on that one verse. Verse 3, a poor man who oppresses the poor is a beating rain that leaves no food. If the poor in society don't have moral values, that's even worse. Because the poor need moral values to help one another up. Society benefits when the poor in society have morality. And when you take away morality from the poor, you just undercut society's own ability to pull itself up. Verse 4, those who forsake the law praise the wicked, but those who keep the law strive against them. And it's talking about the law, meaning the Old Testament law, not the law of the land, but I suppose in a practical sense, you could say a law, if the law is a just law. But in general, if those are um, forsaking the morality of the law, tend to praise the wicked people and then you perpetuate the amorality in society verse 5 evil men do not understand justice but those who seek the Lord understand it completely now you may have a bunch of evil men saying they like justice but they don't understand justice because justice has to be applied fairly And the only justice in society will come from the Lord. Usually men uh, with evil in their hearts will, will say they want justice, but it's only justice that they agree with. And when you get down to it, you, you have to say, oh, we need fair and we need equal. And you see all uh, the atheists in society and the socialists or all the people say, oh, we want equal justice. We want equality. We want this, that, and the other. And we're going to uh, use the government to apply it. Government by itself is composed of men. And when men uh, are evil, when they don't have morality... The legal system won't work fairly because the, the morality of the people can't work fairly. So again, it all comes down to the integrity and the virtue of the citizen itself for society to function in itself. Now, of course, God says the only way to have justice and righteousness and true morality is with him. Because man inherently is evil, and corruption will always occur with any society that man has. Now, there's various degrees of how you're going to organize your society, but this goes back, even the 
I think even the, the folks in, um, in Europe, in the European Enlightenment, were having to acknowledge these principles that government ruled by men will always tend to lean towards the unjust because men inherently are evil. Verse 6, Better is a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who's crooked in his ways. The one who keeps the law is a son with understanding, but a companion of gluttons shames his father. Whoever multiplies his wealth by interest and profit gathers it for him who is generous to the poor. A lot of those verses are dealing with citizens and how we make our choices and and how we either keep the, the law or how we choose to use the blessings that we have in society if we're um, multiplying our wealth by interest and profit, if we're trying to make our wealth through um, um, upright and legal means as opposed to stealing wealth, um, we can use that wealth to to bring up the poor, can bring up those around us. And generosity in society cannot be overlooked or overemphasized. We need to, when we are blessed in society, this wisdom from the Lord says to be generous to the poor. And that when you have a society full of Christians, full of Christians or people who are keeping this law, a law from God, society benefits because the wisdom from God instructs us to be generous to the poor. So, by definition, if you say, oh, we need a society that don't have a lot of Christians in it, and you put Christians in a box, by, by definition, you're going to have people that are going to be less generous to the poor. That's just human nature. Verse 9, if one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. <clears throat> McGee emphasized this too. And this is uh, <clears throat> what he referred to as God's way of telling us that before he's going to listen to us in prayer, we have to listen to him. We have to listen to his word and hearing the the law, or now, this was written in the Old Testament times, but hearing His Word, reading His Word, being involved in His Word, just like we're doing today, we have to, we have to hear Him before He tries to hear us. So, even McGee says, if you've got a sick family member and you need to have prayer, and you don't, you're not, you're not one who regularly prays or regularly listens to the Word of God, it would be better for you before you just start popping off in prayer to maybe have someone who you know is is trying to walk a righteous path to pray with you too. Because God says, if you are praying and you turn your ear away from God, you don't acknowledge God, but all of a sudden start praying. That's an abomination to God Himself. <clears throat> How important it is for us to have a heart that is centered on Christ, on God-centered heart, when we pray, when we study His Word. Because a Christ-centered heart 
is essential to prayer and having that spiritual relationship with Him. Verse 10, Whoever misleads the upright into an evil way will fall into his own pit, but the blameless will have a goodly inheritance. Be careful about leading others down the wrong way or scandalous living because you will be repaid greatly for your sin. A rich man, in verse 11, is wise in his own eyes, but a poor man who has understanding will find him out. Isn't it interesting how we see rich people in society? People always turn towards rich people to give the speech, or the successful businessman is going to be the one who leads everybody in prayer, you know? And that person tends to to say, sure, I'll do it. I'll lead the other people. And they kind of say, well, maybe I'll lead them because I'm a wealthy person. But a poor man who has understanding, who has discernment, who may not have as much wealth, but a poor man who knows right from wrong, he'll find him out. He'll know that he doesn't have wisdom. It doesn't take a lot of money to be able to have discernment in wisdom. Verse 13, whoever conceals, we're just going to skip around now and hit some of the high points. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. This is verse 13. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. That's having a humble heart. That's an example of how important it is. Just like your relationship with the Lord and your relationship in society. If you try to conceal your sin, you're not going to prosper. Now, whether that's sin in the marketplace or sin as a citizen or sin um, with your family, but if you confess your sin and you forsake them, you let them go in your life, you stop living that way, you can, that's the only way you can obtain mercy. Verse 14, blessed, blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but forever, but whoever hardens his heart will fall in calamity. Again, another example of having a humble heart. That is the proper response to the Lord is a humble heart. And fear the Lord, we've said before, it's not being scared to death of a monster, but having that heart, a fearful heart, a heart that fears <clears throat> what will happen if you fall away from the Lord, how far you would fall, how dead you are, that fear of your own shortcoming. Having that proper reverence. <clears throat> that, that total humility that comes. That is the beginning of wisdom. Down to verse 17. If one is burdened with the blood of another, he will be a fugitive until death and let no one help him. If you have the blood of someone else on your hands like a murderer, this is sort of like in society, we have murderers. Again, we're sort of, this is sort of how it applies to us living in society, but it also applies to our relationship with the Lord. But if 
<clears throat> but if you're a murderer and you're guilty with the blood of somebody, <clears throat> you'll be hunted down till you die. In other words, in society, there's always somebody who's going to be trying to hunt you down when you kill somebody. There's always somebody who's not going to let that go. Whether it's the sheriff or the police or the, or, you know, whoever you've wronged will always be trying to hunt you down as a fugitive till you die. Now, they may catch you, they may not, but you'll always be hunted. And of course, if you have the blood of someone as a sinner, <clears throat> it's the same thing. You're a spiritual fugitive. And of course, in God's eyes, we're all sinners. We're all fugitives <clears throat> till death. That's just another way of looking at yourself. And if you don't have the Lord... Do you feel like you're a fugitive? Well, in God's eyes, you are a fugitive. And, you know, you're, and continuing this example, that fugitive, he doesn't, if he's not scared to be on the run, he'll get caught. Then he'll be put to death. And it's just like we're fugitives too. We need to have that fear of the Lord. And it again, talks about fear of the Lord. Another example of talking about fear of the Lord. It's that... <clears throat> That humility, that humble heart, that heart that is scared of how bad a sinner you are. You're scared of how bad a fugitive you really are. What sin is going to do to you, that ought to scare you to death. To be scared of your own sin. <clears throat> you ought to fear. Because God is a completely just God. He can't be in the presence of anybody with sin. So be scared for your own self <clears throat> as a fugitive. Now I'm going to jump down to <clears throat> a few verses. I'm going to read kind of quick here. Uh, 20 to 22 deals with you know, how we deal in society uh, trying to get rich. Verse 20, a faithful man will abound with blessings, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. To show partiality is not good, but for a piece of bread, man will do no wrong. Verse 22, a stingy man hastens after wealth and does not know what that poverty will come upon him. <clears throat> when we try to live a life, the best advice that your Father in Heaven can give to you in dealing with how you function in society, don't be greedy. Don't be stingy. Don't chase after the the dollar. Don't chase after the 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 quacha. Don't chase after um, whatever money, fame, riches. Don't chase after those things, those tangible things. Don't be greedy. Be generous, because <clears throat> when you're hastening to be rich like that, wealth grows your pride. Wealth grows your self-centeredness. Wealth grows that sense of lusting for things that you don't have instead of concentrating on what you do have through the Lord, through Jesus Christ. You cannot serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. So <clears throat> be careful how you live your life like that. Verse 23, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor. 
than he who flatters with his tongue. Don't flatter somebody. Whatever you do. When somebody calls and wants you to do something, at least keep your head on your shoulders and stop flattering them. Be an even keel person and use your tongue wisely. And if you find yourself falling, I think it's a, a very easy trap for a lot of people. For me, I think it, it's easy because you want to make the other person feel good. And you want to always try to say something nice about the other person. And I, it, it's, I do it. We all do it. <clears throat> but sometimes we just get to the point where we say something nice about the other person and then we just flatter them falsely. and We just make up stuff over and over and over. To make them to pump them up. <clears throat> if they need to be rebuked for some reason, if they're not doing something the right way, and you don't rebuke them, you're not gonna be doing the good job as a parent or as a leader, as a brother or sister in Christ. Try to let your tongue. Be careful about what your tongue, how you say it and what you say. But it's important that you speak truthfully as best you can. Verse 24, whoever robs his father or his mother and says, that is no transgression, is a companion to a man who destroys. If you're so greedy that you take money from your mom or dad, you rob from them, or maybe in their old age, you just take their possessions and say it's not a big deal because, you know, it's mine anyway. You're a companion to a man who destroys. You're a low life. You're someone who is nothing. You're somebody who just is like somebody who goes through and just burns people's houses. Who just tears up things and destroys. That's what you do. <clears throat> Verse 25, a greedy man stirs up strife, but the one who trusts in the Lord will be enriched. Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Be careful about being greedy. Be careful about trusting in your own self. Greedy people are self-centered. Again, it's so important to keep a Christ-centered heart. And if wealth begins to move in, now you're your heart is wealth-centered, that's a self-centered feeling, and then you start trusting in your own mind instead of trusting in the Lord. Verse 27, Whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. Give to the poor. Be generous. That's what this verse is saying. If you give to the poor, you're not going to starve. But if you hide your eyes from people in need, you'll get many a curse coming on you. And then it'll be your turn to ask for people for help. And a lot of times, spiritually, you reap what you sow. Verse 28, when the wicked rise, people hide themselves, but when they perish, the righteous increase. When wicked people come into power, when wicked people come into authority, people tend to hide themselves. 
They protect what they have because they they may not be in power, but they're smart enough to know virtue when they see it. And wicked people lack virtue. It's really interesting in society today, we see more and more people of no virtue on the news, no virtue. They've got websites and podcasts and blogs. They don't, they speak foolishly. They curse. That's their personality. They, their morality is is, um, just way far away from the Lord. We see it more and more in government. There's scandals. Um, Athletes that we used to look up to are immoral people. Um, We see it in uh, leadership. We, We see it even in the church. We see different people talking about different moral values of the church. When that, those people come into prominence, people hide themselves. <clears throat> but when they perish, then you start seeing the righteous come through. It's so true. So I think verse 28 has a lot to say about how God's people, God's virtues, God's integrity, people who learn God's wisdom and can walk in integrity, actually play a tremendous benefit to society in their integrity, in their upholding not only God's law, but God's law directs them to uphold the society's laws. And how we treat one another in society, that has ramifications on how citizens behave. And it also has ramifications on how the poor are helped in society. It's only through God's wisdom that you see poor people truly being helped. God's Word is the only way the poor can cannot be poor. You can give the poor a lot of money, like social programs, they'll still be poor in spirit. When you're poor in spirit... <clears throat> You'll never escape your own poverty. Wealth is more of a state of mind than it is uh, monetarily uh, wealth. It's a spiritual condition. Wealth, God's Word, is worth far more than money. We we see so many wealthy people living, living in squalor, in spiritual poverty. They have the same problems or even worse than the poor. And it also, this chapter also goes into a lot about how we deal with one another in um, generosity and in virtues there. So we'll start in 29 and we'll look at these uh, few verses here. Uh, verse 1 and 29. He who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. If you've been, if you tried to be corrected before, and you just resist anybody trying to help you or correct you, that kind of person can suddenly be broken and just destroyed without any chance of healing. Be careful if you resist being corrected at all. <clears throat> and it a lot. this has to do with the humility in your heart. You have to have a humble heart to accept correction that comes from God and comes from one another in righteousness. 
<clears throat> when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. When you have good res, uh, rulers, good leaders, good presidents, it's a blessing on the people. The impact of righteousness, it filters through all the people. But immorality, people just hate being led by immoral leaders. And we see, we see so much of that in the politics today. We have immoral leaders. Seems like every time you turn around, there's immorality. <clears throat> People who don't call on the name of the Lord and trust in their own words, their own wisdom. The people groan. Whether they're, whether they're accepting Christ or not, they just groan. Because morality has a way of making everybody in society comfortable. People like a moral society. People like generosity that comes from a higher sense of purpose and morality. He who loves wisdom makes his father glad, but a companion of prostitutes squanders his wealth. He who loves wisdom, that's like a picture of Jesus Christ right there. He who loves wisdom, Jesus loved wisdom, Jesus was wisdom, makes his Father glad. He made the Father in heaven glad. When Jesus was baptized, a big voice came down from the heavens and said, This is my Son, who I am well pleased. He pleased his Father <clears throat> because of his wisdom and his love of wisdom. Even as a young boy, Jesus loved wisdom so much, he sat in the temple. His parents could even find him when they went to Jerusalem that time. But a companion of the prostitute squanders his wealth. If you surround yourself with evil and wicked people, people who um, reject the Word of God, you squander the, the wealth. You squander the Word of God. The Word of God is your wealth, your treasure. Don't squander it. If you have a Bible or if you hear the Word of God... That is the God's gift to you. That is your wealth. And if you believe in Him, you have been given more spiritual blessings. You've been given all spiritual blessings. As we learn in Ephesians chapter 1, God gives all the wealth to you right up front. All the wealth in heaven. <clears throat> You're a rich man. You're a rich woman. Spiritually speaking... You have more wealth and blessings than you can imagine. And God's telling you right here, don't squander it. If you love that wisdom that God gives you and don't squander it, you make your Father in heaven glad. And I, I've been thinking about this. I heard it. I, I saw this written by somebody. I don't know who wrote it, but they said every time they're in prayer or every time they're reading the Word of God, the devil's on the run because God's word is being honored. That's like a light in this dark world. So every time you're reading your Bible, every time we're doing this podcast, every time we're <clears throat> every time you're trying to be prayerful, the devil's on the run because the word of God is wealth. The word of God is pleasing to the Father in heaven. You are blessing the Father in heaven. That word blessing comes from the word beatus. That's a um, Latin for joyful. Blessing makes people happy, makes people joyful. 
You bless the Father in heaven with your love of wisdom. Verse 4, By justice a king builds up the land, but he who extracts exacts gifts tears it down. By justice a king builds up the land. That's a reference to Christ. Christ is justice. He is the fulfillment of the law. And He is here to build up the land. Only one true person could build up the land. But if you try to exact gifts, in other words, if you try to bribe people and function in society in corruption, you tear it down. You tear down the land. So if you're living in society, practically speaking, do an honest day's work, get an honest day's pay, and when you when you have uh, business dealings, let it be honest. Don't bribe or don't try to get special favors with people just because of your position. Do everything on the up and up. Do everything transparent. Do everything as best you can fairly. That in in your business dealings, if you're honest in your business, you build up the land around you. If you're dishonest, if you give away contracts just based on just based on relationships or oh he's my brother in law, he gets the contract or he gets the big business deal because he seems like a good guy. You don't build up the land because there's probably somebody else out there with a business and doing honest work that should have been rewarded but didn't because you kind of paid somebody on the side to make yourself feel better, to give yourself more popularity or power or authority or influence over the person you're giving the business deal to. Don't get involved with that. It doesn't it doesn't help you and it doesn't build up the land as a citizen in the land. And it goes against God's wisdom. So I hope these verses were really helpful to you. They were for me. This is a <clears throat> a deep dive into the proverbs. The, the proverbs actually know how society's supposed to work. And God's wisdom has been applied to me and you as we live our life with one another and as we seek out His wisdom. But it also shows us that God's wisdom even applies to how we live in society. What a marvelous uh, study this is today. It's just great. I think this is one of my favorite uh, uh, chapters in the Bible. You could take this and make a whole study on the European Enlightenment. Because the European Enlightenment has to do with the fact um, of creating a government and giving people individual liberty, a government that would allow people to have individual liberty and individual freedoms. Because it says that man inherently is evil and corrupt and has low virtue and that there is a higher authority and that only through limited government and limited power 
can you actually have a true just society? And the best justice in society is to limit the authority of one man over another man because really the only justice in society comes from the Word of God. That's what started the European Enlightenment. That's what started John Locke writing and Montesquieu and those people. This is the Judeo-Christian influence on European thinking and that European thinking had an influence on American thinking and how they took those principles to try to have a government based on limited power. I think that says a lot here. And of course, a lot of that goes back into when we were studying Acts. I believe it was Acts 17. When Paul goes uh, into into Rome and he's basically going before the Senate or going before um, some of the, the uh, courts there and telling them that your society is not a good society because you're claiming men and gods and he's just saying there's only one God, there's only one just judge, and you can't judge society, only the Lord can judge, and that you're saying that you're superior, and he's saying no, there's no superior race, there's no superior uh, people, and that all men are created equally in the eyes of God. So a lot of that had impact on Jude- that Judeo-Christian thinking had impact on European thinking, and it's had impact that's had a ripple around the world. Now, of course, people around the world deny God, but they cannot deny the wisdom coming from God as it applies to how people function in society. This is a very interesting topic to me. You could go back through world history and study the development of the the Judeo-Christian uh, philosophy, even as it applies to the American constitutional system, American system of law, and system of law in other countries. And you'll find more and more that when you have countries that have more and more authoritarian approaches to governance, and you have um, less and less individual liberty and individual principles, you have more and more corruption. And when you have less and less Uh, centralized power of people over one another, you have more and more corruption. And as it said, as we started out in 28, when a land transgresses, it has many rulers. There are so many people who want to rule over society. The bureaucracy increases as well as people's sense that they no right from wrong, and that there's no real one central authority. When you have that, a society begins to transgress. Again, amazing study. Sorry we took a little bit longer today, but it's just amazing how God's wisdom always seems to uh, work whether we accept it or not. So for me to all of you, God bless you. Um, Keep your heart centered on Christ. I'll see you next week as we begin to close out our study of the Proverbs and get ready for our new study next week of the book of Philippians. For me to all of you, God bless you, and I'll see you next time.